Everybody and welcome to episode 376 of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again by my uh, Canadian co-hosts, Peter and Jake. Yes, that's uh, that's very correct. Um, we're coming at you live with the rolling overhead throw-in edition of the cast. Um, it's that part of soccer that is just a very, it's a very little part of soccer, but people <clears throat> will flex on it anyways. Oh, for a second, I thought you were um, you were picking up some new moves for frisbee golf, froth. Yeah, when you said over, I heard overhand throwing. I'm oh. like, uh, yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah. Did no. you, this you is do a one... cool shot and didn't tell me? Yeah. <laughs> so you know the throw-in in soccer, right? Where mm-hmm. it goes. Yes, out the it's side. where they do the front flip yes. with the throw-in, um, which adds so little extra force to the ball that it is totally not worth it to do it's entirely a flex yeah yes um i actually think it's like not less or it's it's riskier to get called um like a i don't know what they would call it a penalty or a redo yeah uh, because yeah. if you don't because when you go to stand up you're in like this position the rules right. state you have to be your behind head. your head and forward and a lot of times they just come up above their head and forward and uh that's a no-no they say it's no, a no, no throw. Yeah. And then the little penguins with the cards, they say, Beep. <laughs> no. 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 No, Megan Rapino. No. 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 no oh, yeah, it is si- World Women's World Cup thing yeah. happening now. Shout out to the bitches, uh. dude. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they? Spain or some shit? <laughs> Fucking. Sports, dude. They're kicking balls. Women's sports. We remember them. They're like, I wish this was the patriarchy's testicles. And then they smash it into the uh, goal. And everybody goes wild. Women's sports, women's sports is like the McRib. You know, we're always happy to see it when it comes around. But when it's not in season, you say, oh, it's not on my mind. <laughs> I feel I feel so bad because, like, I... I, I I put on this facade of being a progressive, but when it comes to women's sports, I'm just like fucking. I don't me a sandwich. I don't think that. I don't think that makes you. Well, I mean that <laughs> makes you a bad person, but I don't think not being interested in women's sports makes you less progressive. It's just you're not interested in watching a slower version <laughs> yeah. of the sport that you enjoy. Yeah, and it's it, like the whole. Like they they want fair. And that's pay. not a knock on women. No, they're they're good athletes. I'm not trying to take that away from them. They're just not as good as their male counterparts. I, I mean, yeah, they. <laughs> they I don't know like, why. Like women had women also do have like their own very cool unique sport that have had like multiple movies made about it in roller derby, and <laughs> that has not caught on. That's true. Even yeah, the roller like, der- roller derby is like. Like professional wrestling, it's it's more of like a performance art than an actual sport. Yeah, right. I mean, and and pro wrestling gets main. I'm not prime time I mean, slots. Obviously, every week. I enjoy pro wrestling. That's not a secret. It, <laughs> I just want to see buff women in like roller skating gear headbutting each other in like a Thunderdome style situation. Step it on me. Bring back American Gladiators, but only for women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm down with that. Um, put them in bikinis too. 
<laughs> I was about to say something along those lines. <laughs> Have events like the mud pit. I mean, <laughs> make I, sure everyone's all oily at all times. Not We're to be, back not to be boxing, ladies and gentlemen. Not to be incredibly sexist, but I, I wonder if uh, you go through like the top watched women's sports during the Olympics, like uh, like Summer Olympics or Winter too, and I'll bet you like gymnastics and like. Beach volleyball is like at the top of the list. Well, I think gymnastics is just one of the most watched summer Olympic events, full yeah. stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no other no. sport out there that you feel creepy watching like underage broads just. <laughs> what are you talking about, Jake? All the Chinese competitors were legal. I mean, age. they are of legal age. <laughs> they had in their they had country. Chinese birth certificates to prove it. There's no way they could those could have been forged. <laughs> I want to combine the biathlon with like uh, like gymnastics, like a floor routine. Like I want them to have a rifle strapped on their back, do their tumbling, and at the end. Then shoot targets and pop some shots off at 30 yards. The biathlon is my favorite Olympic event because it is, it is, yes, a biathlon because it's two sports, but they are the most disconnected sports (laughs) that have ever been paired together in an elite competition before. Let's take this war game practice event and turn it into a competition. Cross country skiing. What can we pair with this? Target shooting. Genius. (laughs) Genius. <laughs> this was this was like handcrafted by the Finnish to fucking dominate. Like, oh yes, camouflage shooting in the woods, my specialty. <laughs> um, Love it. But that's not where we're at this week. Uh, no, uh, as always, we are coming at you live from last known, known to man, Radio Shack. It's like the last blockbuster that's in like Alaska or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the last Radio Shack, privately owned, privately run. It's uh, crowdsource funded. They have a they have a GoFundMe uh, because they get no business because nobody needs like coax cables anymore and uh, you know Ethernet jacks. For... Unless they're gold plated, <laughs> then you can go to Best Buy for that. Yeah. Uh, Radio Shack actually still has. I think quite a few active locations. Are they still yeah. kicking? Good for, Is there good one for them. in Waterloo where the vampires <laughs> hang out? <laughs> where the vampires hang out. <laughs> he went he, like in that it was it was a fairly like different and nuanced performance, but every now and then you'd see a little Dennis creep in. <laughs> and then in that scene. I I I full have, Dennis. What uh, makes that better is I'm so sure that that was something that Ball Silly actually said. Yeah, I mean, I could, I to my as far as I'm aware, they are the same person. There is no difference between Glenn Howard and I. Jim Ball I am Silly. super curious to see if like that's actually how Ball Silly like. I feel like they probably just said, "Oh yeah, my first interaction with Jim was like him yelling at us to like get on the phone with uh, U.S. Robotics and and get these modems sold." And and then that evolved or devolved into just Glenn Howerton playing Dennis, <laughs> bald Dennis, <laughs> with just the biggest anger issue ever. My man 
has a show the the width of a football field. <laughs> yeah, no, Just no, no significant other ever ever mentioned. So, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did they just not get married up in Canada? Confirmed bachelor. <laughs> you know, um, worth he noting, little, he, he probably played side. hockey. If he if he loved hockey that much, he probably played hockey. He's probably. I like, think I think he loved hockey that much, you know, because he's Canadian. Well, he also <laughs> probably played it, and 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 if he's not playing it, well, anymore, they all play it up there. It's like it's like military service in Israel. It's just something that happens yeah. to you when you grow up in Canada. He must have gotten too, so many concussions that it affected his ability. Oh, CTE. Yeah, he got a little bit of that CTE goody. He's he's got that spicy brain going on right now. That's all. <laughs> he didn't have anger management issues. He just had CTE. He had like pudding brain. Brown. <laughs> what the? F- all right, I'm reading this. So we're talking about BlackBerry this week. Doing just to round this out before we go next week for for uh, Oppenheimer and possibly Barbie. Um, <clears throat> um, but I'm reading about this guy. Um, this dude. Um, he's, he's, it's a lot, there's a lot more shit that happened than in the movie. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've said today, but it's true. Um, like he, he's a fucking captain in the Royal, he's an honorary captain in the Royal Canadian Navy. It's like, oh, I, okay. He's so like don't... a Naval reservist. Honorary captain sounds a lot like some, bol- like an honorary degree bullshit. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm feeling. Um, he did. He did have a wife. They split. They married in 1989, and they split up in 2011. Oh wow! So he was married for the events oh. of the movie. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So interesting, but we will talk. We will be talking about the movie because it was yes, a pretty have... good movie. And we will have what comes before movies, except for Oppenheimer. This is a PSA to anyone going to see Oppenheimer this week. The reel is so jam-packed with, if you're going to see an IMAX, the reel is so jam-packed with actual movie that there will be no previews. The movie is going to start on the time that it says it's going to start. Oh, really? Well, yeah. thank you for that PSA, because I definitely would have shown up 20 minutes Yeah, later. I usually show up 20 minutes late. Um, okay, good to know, because I'm actually going to see it in the morning on Saturday with some friends. Hmm. Um, and I'm wh- seeing it at night on and Saturday. if I'm wrong, you can throw sardines at me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure it's different for every theater, um, especially because a 70mm showing had fucking th- four showings the entire day. All sold out, might I add. So I am expecting this to have fucking crazy numbers. This is gonna do big business. Um, Which I, still, I looked at still haven't bought my like, tickets. <laughs> I looked at five different showings for IMAX across three days. Um, most of them were all, all, pretty much all the good seats were booked up. I got like the last good seat at the eight p.m. on a Saturday showing for this three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, I ordered my so the Cinemark had four showings of the seventy-millimeter reel. Um, and I, I, on what, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, told my friends, I'm like, Hey, I'm getting three tickets. You guys, you guys want to go? And I showed him where the seats were. And he's like, Ooh, 
that's rough. Is there, are there any better times? And I said, no. Unless you want front row, there are there are like spotted seats here and there, but it was a big old yeah. no for me. I I'm probably gonna get crammed up against the wall because I was not um, <clears throat> not so. Prompt. And you you might be in the bull pit. Yeah, and and secondary <laughs> secondary PSA for anybody inquiring, there is no consumer um, strike or consumer uh, protest against going to see any movies right now um we did not cover this last week because it i think happened the day that we recorded um which was which is live you know these these are always live um yeah just in a time warp uh sag has joined the writers or sag strike themselves um a Mm -hmm. bit of it probably was in solidarity with uh wga but um the actors have also struck and um that is the second strike in Hollywood. Um, they oftentimes got stuff shut down already just with the writers um, by having other unions strike with strike in solidarity. Uh, Teamsters Union, one of the biggest unions in the America. In the America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did not cross the picket line, um, so they would oftentimes shut down movie sets um, and make Hollywood waste a ton of money. And really stick it to them, you know. They're good enough at that already, but it always help. It's always good to have a helping hand. Yeah, but this yeah. Um, before we get into trailers, um, it would be good to talk about it. Um, so we had Fran Drescher, who's the I guess president mm-hmm. of SAG. Um, she was leading off a lot of the announcements. A lot of what they are striking for is um, residual pay, just like uh, writers. Um, and also AI protection. Uh, so there's a, a lot of concern about AI technology replacing, maybe not necessarily main actors, but background extras and supporting roles that may not need all the, the hyper-focus on, but they get, that's people's day jobs is being actors, uh, extras and stuff like that. So uh, there's clauses to like basically use an AI for the entirety of a movie possibly. And this is actually, it's not unprecedented. So famously the physical actor for Zordon and Power Rangers um, showed up for one day of shooting. He was on set for about 20 minutes and then his likeness was used in perpetuity for eight seasons. Uh, He only got paid for that one day. See also um, Peter Cushing and, um, who is Leia? Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- those were definitely the, the beginnings of what we saw from this, where they had to go to the estate or the family. Well, Carrie, Carrie Fisher's situation is a little bit different because yeah, she was already contracted to appear in the movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If they put her in more movies yeah. after this, yeah. Then, then yeah, it's going to be uh, a little similar to those other situations. So yeah, they got they got AI protection. They got uh, just generally pay and residual um, issues that they want uh, resolved. Um, because with the streamers, it's you know it's, it's increasing more and more that movies and shows aren't being seen as much on cable networks. Which um, Adam Conover's comparison was really apt uh, to show, which is how different the pay can be. Uh, from when he did Adam Ruins Everything, he got $20,000 as residuals 
for the one season or something that he did for Adam Ruins Everything on, uh, what was it, TLC? Some of that? Sounds right. Um, whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. Uh, and then, I think more a and I don't know. Um, when he did his G-Word show on Netflix, he got like 500 bucks. Basically the same show. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, and a part of this is just the streamers are keeping well, their in numbers. residuals. I'm sure. I'm sure he was paid more than five hundred dollars for like acting. Well, sure, yeah, but that is the case for a lot of non-big actors, and a lot of the times they use those residuals um, to help support future work. Well, um, yeah, Keith well. Hernandez gets like a million dollars in Seinfeld residuals every year. He was in two episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, like, if you got residuals on a syndicated show like that, it can be lifelong income for you. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's hard to hard to show, it's hard hard to like argue a lot of this because we don't know the numbers. But Netflix's stock keeps on going up. It's obviously lucrative for them to keep doing what they're doing. Um, Wait, isn't their stock like famously going down? Uh, well, as of yesterday, it was going. It shot through the roof. Even though they uh, it's lost, down, it shoot it's the down. It's down eight point four percent resting above the floor. What did it? Did it drop because it hit a high? Probably. It it's down eight point four percent today. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's normalized. Um, yesterday, there they had their like earnings report, and they talked about all this stuff, and it after hours shot up like eight percent. And, and I guess yeah, no. yesterday it was trading at 477. Today it's trading at 437. Yeah. So pretty precipitous drop. And if you go back to Q1, uh, it was low for a while. Then they instituted password sharing crackdowns. Yeah. And it went back up. And now it's it's dropped quite a bit. If you if you but if you look at um, uh, not yesterday but the day before yesterday, it's it was only like 450 ish. So it's 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 still under that number, but it's probably just a big a big sell off or a hit of mark that that people wanted to sell. Well, you see, Jake, that's you know what that could be true, but it's not true at all because they're waiting for the best movie of the year to drop on Netflix. We've seen the trailer on our Trey Watch segment, mm-hmm. which we're in now. <laughs> Boom! You didn't even notice. I snuck up <laughs> on you with it. Uh, with Copy. the Monkey King. <laughs> Dropping in. That's going to get them back to their all-time high of $628 Oh, my share. God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was in October of 2021 when the whole world was trapped inside. <laughs> yeah. Cap, literal captive audience. Um, and just like a captive audience, you can just sell them. You can just sell them whatever, including uh, the 390,000th thousandth uh, monkey king movie this one is part of the 586 that are animated um it's the story of the monkey king he has a stick and he's playful and he fights immortals of journey to the west or dragon ball (laughs) it's the same thing (laughs) yeah journey to the west famously the first anime featuring the first filler arc the first anime ever in history already had filler arcs. The third book is like five times as long as the other three. And it's just <laughs> them walking around China 
doing stuff. There's a lot to see and do in China. If Shenmue 3 has taught me anything. <laughs> Years Man. ago, I was Chinese. So my uh, my original speculation for this movie was, uh, I think, a bit hasty. I thought this was something that maybe had already appeared in China. And due to like all the shakeups in Hollywood right now, um, they are purchasing overseas stuff and non-SAG and non-WGA stuff. Uh, to put onto Netflix, um, it is not. It is um, same studio that brought you Kung Fu Panda, which that makes sense. The animation is that's very DreamWorks, isn't it? Uh, per, well, Pearl Animation and then Netflix Productions. I don't, okay, I don't I've heard of Pearl I saw. before. Per, Pearl worked on all the Kung Fu Panda stuff. Uh, so Netflix, Pearl, and Real FX Creative Studios. Um, countries of origin: China, Hong Kong, U.S. So this is an all Asian cast. Uh, yay, good for them. Um, <laughs> But got a lot of popular names uh, for Chinese actors. Joe Coy, Jimmy O. Yang, uh, who is Monkey King. Um, well, he... I mean, Joe Coy is Filipino and uh, Jimmy O. Yang is... Is he Chinese? Well, Filipino. He's, he's obviously Asian. Irish. Jimmy O. Yang. Was... <laughs> I, Jimmy I could have he was... Well, I mean, yeah, Yang is a... He could be Taiwanese, I suppose, but... Well, I... Yeah, I mean, they just said first all Asian, not Chinese cast. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You you had said Chinese. I was just kind of busting your chops. But, yeah, I guess... Uh, <laughs> well, I guess Asians are, are still... They can they can turn a blind <laughs> eye to some shot of them that. into me. <laughs> I guess they can turn a blind eye to all the, uh, the, the authentic Back when casting. I was in Vietnam, and that little Chinaman looked up at me. <laughs> <laughs> Why Netflix? Uh, why? Why Black Diamond? <laughs> he said something like, "Who she tasked some Chinese shit," but I understood it to be a question. Oh Lord! Um, um, so yeah, but yeah, Monkey King. I was like instantly. Oh, we've seen trailers like this out of yeah. We are China. I should say we are ragging on this a little bit, but it has more personality and like humor than our next trailer, uh, Migration. Again, this one this time it has voice acting. Um, we, yeah, this is I checked because I feel like we've been reviewing this every like two months. It was a long time ago when we first saw February the like teaser. Teaser, yeah. yeah, more than a year. This has been f- flapping around. No way. We we saw this a little while ago. Not not February though. There, right? there was another thing too. I, I remember. I would have said like December of last year. But, I mean, it's gone through a couple of phases where they keep teasing it yeah. more and yeah. more. And we finally have, I guess, an actual trailer. Um, oh, boy, do we have a trailer. Three minutes long. And it has a, a fucking Minion pre-roll. Oh, love and it. then it says, uh, from the creators of Minions, migration trailer starts now. And then the Illumination logo with more Minions is in it. They really want you to know this is the same people that this, make Minions. So if do, your kid likes Minions, take them to see this movie. They they really said to us, this movie has no hook. So we're going to show you as much as we can of it and also entice you with Minions. Um, and they're very right. This movie has no hook. It's It's anxious father figure. Um, 
but kids who want to, kids and family who want to go out and see the world, so they go on a trip to the big city. Well, I don't think they want to go go to the big city. They want to go to Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, but the Caribbean I mean, they don't know. But they but they're the a city. bird. They don't know how to get there, so they just fly and they they bump into the city, or the city bumps into them. They're <laughs> on. They're on a collision course to wackiness. So um, my pessimistic side of me is just instantly like, why are there only two kids and of two different ages? <laughs> Ducks have I, more than one chick. All their the, well, they don't all survive. All their kids died. Yeah, where's the one. scene of the dad duck like going at the wife with? With his corkscrew, corkscrew dick. Corkscrew penis. No, dude, if they if they make a corkscrew penis joke in this, did you know a duck's vagina is corkscrewed the opposite way with like dead ends mm-hmm. to prevent mallard rape? Trick passages, dude. It's insane. The god God's <laughs> glorious design developed Some labyrinth pussy. Yeah. <laughs> the labrussy. <laughs> the Greeks tried to warn us. <laughs> Watch out for the Minotaur in that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the labyrinth. Oh my god, it was all a euphemism. <laughs> Is Crete just come in Greek? Is Crete? <laughs> oh. Cretan semen, it just it's right there. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure that. All right, no, I, I was gonna share more <laughs> duck dick facts, <laughs> but I, I don't. You know, we don't I'm impressed that. that you had more. <laughs> if you think we're lying, okay, look fine. it up. You've do it. You've persuaded me. <laughs> I baited it's him a hard into bargain, it. but you sold me. It's also spring loaded. Like <laughs> it just rockets out. I think I saw that too, yeah. The the Whatever. penis or the cum? The penis. The whole thing is internal, and then when he's... Ra- it's just one smooth motion. It's like a one-inch punch. Bam! It's like yeah. a little lightsaber. <laughs> the, um, the spirals, when they do ejaculate, the spiral probably has like a centrifugal effect on it. Collects all the sperm into one jetpack punch into the... The dussy. <laughs> Slam that dussy. And that's, and ladies and gentlemen, that is why Kumal Nanjiani is perfect for the leading role in this movie. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, what if they're going to talk about the birds and the I think that's the only movie? time that sentence has ever been said. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, yeah, this movie has, um, nothing else going for it it has has the funny joke i mean it's it's a better joke than i've seen in most animated movies where the animated character goes to new york city they didn't tell the joke but i knew that's the joke they're gonna make where the pigeon says oh where are you going they're like oh we gotta go to jamaica and i know that the end of that is the pigeon's gonna take them to jamaica queens yeah we've been to jamaica we have not there's a lot a, going on there. There was a giant <laughs> building with a lion in it, and there was wrestling happening inside. That's it's true. There it is. The New York right City there. Arena, which is not much of an arena. It's more of a nightclub. It swept <laughs> with no windows. So Montequilla could take center stage. 
And we got to see we eventually some, uh, found pre, a seat at the bar. W talent. Yeah, it was it was like the last show before Dynamite started, right? Because it was the last indie appearance at the Bucks. That was the big draw. Yep. Um, don't know what the big draw for the holdovers is. Well, I mean Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, so this is a trend that's been happening a lot in films where they're people are making movies set in the eighties and nineties and shooting them either with period accurate equipment or uh putting a filter on it to make it look as if it were shot on period accurate equipment. Um I've seen a couple of these now. I, I actually did manage to get around and watch funny pages. Mm-hmm. Uh it was just okay. Uh, <laughs> so now now when I see a lot of these, because I've seen like two or three of them now, and the best I can say about any of them is they were just okay. <laughs> it makes me a little worried that they're they're kind of using that as a as a hook because their story isn't substantive. But this looks decent. Yeah. Uh kind of like a mix of Dead Poet Society and you know million other John Hughes movies. Mm-hmm. But uh I do like the style. We'll see comedy. what happens. Mixed with mixed with drama. Paul Giamatti is at his head is most cantankerous in a great way. It's- I also do really respect the uh they got one of the trailer narrators to narrate the trailer. Gives it more of that uh, period vibe. It is. It is mm-hmm. huge. Uh, I don't even know if it's nostalgia bait because it is so true to form of the like. It's it's authentic. Like if this came on the eighties, I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. If you if you showed this to someone who didn't know anything about it and said this was a movie that came out in nineteen ninety nine, I don't think anyone would be like, nah. The only thing that gives it away, I think, is some of the like the camera work. I feel like there's it's a lot of modern camera work. Um, I don't know. It just it just seems that way to me. Like the the, yeah. the choice of the shots and some of the some of the movements for a movie of that would be of this budget. I feel like <laughs> it would have a the like the color grading, the film grading, all that jazz, the set, the sets, the makeup. Um, all of that tracks just the cameras for, is the only thing, and that's not really a huge. It doesn't really take away much from me because I don't know a lot of these. The sh- a lot of these shots look like trailer shots from movies of the era. Like I get a lot of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in a lot of these shots. Um, I get some like Ransom in a couple of them. I already mentioned Dead Poet Society. A lot of long tracking shots of campuses in that one. Okay. Uh, Beautiful Mind, which I think may have come out in 2000, but still the same sort of uh, thing. Maybe I need to go back and watch some vintage trailers. Vintage Trey Watch? Oh, Lord. you better believe we're coming out with that one. Uh, th- yeah, we can do it as a YouTube extra one of these days. <laughs> we can watch two of the best trailers. Um, Ransom, which has one of the best lines in trailer history. Give me back my son. Mel Gibson shouting that into a phone and uh, Air Force One with uh, one of the other best lines in trailer history. Get off my plane. <laughs> <laughs> Just declarative statements. Um, 
this is uh, this is one of the this is also one of the trailers of all time uh, <laughs> a haunting in venice um talk about this quick again i forgot yep. since the first trailer that this was like a hercule poirot 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 movie um that it's an interesting take on it um in that instead of just being simply a murder mystery which i guess at the core this is going to be it's going to be a murder mystery but it's also throwing the supernatural angle in it of he also has to disprove that this is not a ghost yeah it's it's a little scooby-doo yeah yes and it's uh it's vibe which i'm not against um I've never, I wasn't a huge fan of the Kenneth uh, Branagh Murder on the Orient Express. I thought it was okay at the time, but as I've had time to ruminate on it, I'm like, eh, wasn't that great. I did not see Death on the Nile, um, but he's really, not necessarily scraping the bottom of the barrel, but I do kind of respect his commitment to, you know, adapt more Agatha Christie stories than just murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like the, I like the, um, Agatha Christie universe, uh, that they're, they're creating. Mm-hmm. With a, it's a series I think of it's, movies. Yeah. It's almost a, uh, like a cousin to horror movies in that the production values can be pretty tame, like pretty achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of cheap scares, you the problem with like the problem with writing a mystery movie is that you have to write the plot of a mystery which is tough but if you're adapting already written mysteries mm-hmm. then you, they are they took care of that part yeah it's already yeah. written and you just you hire some interesting i i do appreciate though that the names are getting smaller and smaller each one <laughs> like yeah. the first one you had Willem Dafoe you had all these guys and gals James Duty Dench Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a lot of Gal heavy Gadot. hitters. I mean, she's a Which, big name. Like, well, that was Death on the Nile. Like that that's the second yeah. one. It gets okay. a little bit smaller. You get Gal Gadot, you get a couple other people who've been in some stuff, but aren't as recognizable as like the A-listers in Murder on the Orient. And then you get to this one, and you have Tina Michelle Yeoh and Tina Fey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tina Fey and Michelle Yeoh. I guess I wouldn't expect Tina Fey to be in one of these type of movies, but Oh, I guess and Jamie, um, it's Jamie Dorman, br- yep, branching out. Jude Hill, yeah, uh, and Michelle Yeoh's, you know, she's bringing quite a bit to the the party after um, everything, everywhere, all at once. She's been popping. A critical darling that made all right money. Yep, but good money for its budget. Yeah, and and hella critical acclaim, as we've as followers mm-hmm. of the show will no doubt on uh, already know. And Let's see. Yeah, the uh, first one you had Judy Dench, Willem Dafoe. Um, no, oh, I guess those were the the big names. I thought there were more big names in this one. So it's based upon the novel Hollow or Hallow End Party. Uh, it's got an apostrophe uh, in the middle of the oh, Halloween Halloween party. Yeah, Halloween Halloween party. Halloween party. Um, yeah, but. See, that's why Murder on the Orient Express wasn't a perfect adaptation. Because that Willem Dafoe, it didn't have desaturated Willem Dafoe. That's true. It was in color. You need to strip that out there. If that movie were in black and white, ten times better. Ten times better. 
Um, Will Defoe even... does his best work. Oh my god, we still. You can't let me forget to do that, Peter. To to cut up Spider Man. Oh yeah. And turn <laughs> turn the color off. <laughs> that boardroom scene. Oh my god, that'll be perfect. Yes. <laughs> you can't do this to me. You. <laughs> After all, I've given this company everything I've sacrificed. <laughs> Um, twenty eight ninety eight times better than that though. It's Kalki twenty eight ninety eight. Um, the Dune Vengers. Yeah, it's. I the only thing that can save this movie is if the the dudes from RRR show up halfway through. I mean, I want to see. I I mean, I am intrigued by this movie and just I. I want to see this kind of spectacle turned toward a sci-fi premise because I still haven't seen Robot or Robot 2. <laughs> and those are almost like too goofy to be taken as a serious sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. But, but this, this is, yeah. is very dramatic. This is the drama of RRR in a Dune ripoff Will there be a scene with where with like Alita Battle being... Angel kind of vibes too? Am yeah. I getting that? All right. The only, this movie is a waste of time unless there's a scene where the alien invaders are torturing one of the uh the rebels and then a a breeze yeah. <laughs> carries a leaf onto the face of the one being tortured, which causes them to burst out into song. Look, if they do a dance number in like the sci in the sci-fi citadel I'll have of, got to. of the, the evil empire, oh my god, that they'll be perfect. It wouldn't be the first sci-fi movie to end with a dance-off <laughs> climax. <laughs> Is there any plot synopsis out of uh out of this, For this bad movie? Boy? Yeah. Because I wanna um, know. Oh, it's not on this, but I believe it's oh. so it's the far future. Humanity is being oppressed by invaders, but a like a descendant or an incarnation of Vishnu yeah. arises. That's the hero in this. He he comes to save uh, or protect humanity. Nice. And, that's, and I think it's actually based on like a comic. See, this is the problem with Christianity. We don't have Do tell. <laughs> this, you know, can you imagine a dope ass movie about like a a descendant of Jesus coming to fight aliens? I mean, that's you know, something that's not Independence Day. I get it, but like and I'm not saying Will Smith is a descendant of Jesus, but <laughs> He did have oh. that godly backhand. Jesus <laughs> is described as having woolly hair in the Bible. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm reading some more about this. Um, this movie is uh, has being made on a budget of 600 crore. We we know that we know how much that is. Um, no, it translates to about U.S. 75 million, making it one of the most expensive Indian movies uh, and ever you made. Still, and that's the quality of CGI he could afford. <laughs> It's, That's insane. That's really good, right? On, I mean, considering the budget, it's, it's on par with with some of the 
some of the Disney stuff that's going on right now. Um, yeah, anything? Oh yeah, there, there was a whole like viral marketing thing of Project K. What is Project K? Ooh, oh, mysterious, mysterioso. See, see, but if the Christians did something like this and they were like, "Look, it's uh, John Wick, but he's descendant of Jesus, come to fight John Nazis the Baptist or something." Like John that. the Baptist Wick. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know they'd be like, "Oh, this is blasphemy," but I'm sure nobody's being like. Oh, this is blasphemy about this. It's like, oh, no, this is actually dope. Um, I don't know about that. There have been a lot of movies, action movies, um, centered around uh, people who are acting on the will of God uh, to slay demons and shit. Um, Like Constantine. The most famous, obviously, (laughs) is Russell Crowe, the Pope's (laughs) exorcist. Yes. Well, I think even that got a little bit of like, yeah, not great, not super. Christians aren't Christians aren't like being like, yes. I don't. I don't know, Jake. I read the ten star reviews. Oh, yeah, when well, we did that one. <laughs> I forgot what they were. Maybe there were some Christians who were like, yes, finally something Papa Frankie can watch with a, a bowl of popcorn and, and be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> Full popcorn, a handful of of, Viking, of opioids, and we're ready to go. It's, it's a Sunday like night it in Indiana. <laughs> That's what they call a Gary a, a week a Gary weekend. A weekend of Gary's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that is that is to watch. Yeah, we can wrap that up. Remember yeah, only only forty minutes through that fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll just lock that in. We'll lock that yeah, in. Just lock that in. Top right. Um. All right. Yep. Time for the follow up. Domestic weekend twenty eight, July fourteenth through sixteenth, twenty twenty three. In first with a good, but still, I gotta think a little disappointing. Uh, a fifty four million dollar opening for Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One which I've been told is the best in the series. <laughs> when asked the in, our secret source uh, about which <laughs> what the rating for the movies was, he said that from best to from worst to best it's in order. Every movie is better than the last one. It's like, all right. And I've I've uh, you know, that's not I've looked at a couple listicles and that seems to be the general sentiment. Uh, some people will rank Mission Impossible 3 as the worst. Some people will rank 2 as worse than 1. Um, but generally speaking, uh, once you get to the 4th, which is, I don't know, was that Ghost Protocol? <laughs> Let me see. Um, um, not not super important. But <laughs> the general consensus, they get better. Yes, from you are there. correct. You got that uh-huh. right on. <laughs> I am, I am a secret Mission Impossible stand. <laughs> um, two hundred sixty-four million dollars worldwide, so a good number. But I have been seeing some articles popping up calling this a bit of a disappointing return, based on the studio projections, and that is kind of fair because when you think about it, uh, ninety-five million dollars domestically versus one hundred sixty-nine internationally. That's not probably the the balance they were looking for. They probably wanted it to be a little more even with the international box office. Yeah. And yeah. it 
it opened worse than quite a few other movies. Like it's, it gives me a lot of joy. Um, but it also is kind of sad to see that, uh, across the spider verse had one of the best opening weekends of the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do wonder if, uh, there was a little bit of consumer backlash after the sag, uh, sag strike. Just being like, eh, Maybe. I don't really feel like giving. Well, yeah, it might. Now. That might be part of it. Um, actors aren't going out on press junkets to promote the movies, which that's that's crazy to me that that those would have like a. I mean, the all the marketers did studies, so they know what impact those kind of things have. But as a layman, like people actually like pay attention to that stuff and are not people like to watch us movies because of that. But older people, you know, like some people who watch the Today Show, that might be the only time they hear of a new movie that's coming out is when the actor shows up on the Today Show and talks about their movie. Not everyone's as plugged into it as we are. Yeah, like the E in E, the the channel. Yes, no longer like, stands for entertainment and stands for elderly. Yeah, I mean those are the people that have cable now. There are people who think about this. There are folks who still read People magazine. <laughs> In print. I don't remember the last time I saw like I, I used the self checkout at the grocery store. So I, I was about to say, what was the last time you in the magazine the stand and saw a People magazine? Oh, it's there. Um. So this next one, maybe the reason why Dead Reckoning lost a lot at home. <laughs> I sure. <laughs> Sound of Freedom comes in a to see second. A real American here. Right, is Jim Caviezel in SAG? Up, up from third, unprecedented. We don't. We see this once a millennia. <laughs> Sound of Freedom up from third to number two, raking in, piling in in its second week out, a grand total of twenty-seven million dollars. Uh, totaling up a hundred million world. Well, it's only well, domestic. Hundred million worldwide. You know what this means? No. Angel Studios is now like legitimate and on the map, and we may be getting more Angel Studios films in the coming years. Well, if if they it depends on what Angel Studios moral compass allows them to do. If they fully embrace making like. QAnon adjacent movies uh, and baiting in the MAGA hats, then yeah, they they could probably be successful for another couple years until that whole wave burns out. Yeah. Turns into something else. Yeah. You know, and it, and it doesn't help that this movie is just getting seemingly bigger. Um, Trump played this at his New Jersey golf club or whatever. Bedminster, yeah. Movie night. Yeah, he had a literal movie night on like the lawn where they projected this movie and had a showing for a bunch of fucking people, and Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard were both there. He had Jesus and the kid saver there. In <laughs> God's the children aren't for sale. <laughs> yeah. So, like, oh, man. It... The other thing is that this movie is so clearly astroturfed. Like, there are tons of people coming out showing that screenings of this are being sold out everywhere. And nobody's in the movie theater. And cinemas are like, okay, that's fine. Like, we're getting money. 
Um, now they probably would rather have people there. Um, to yeah, buy the, the money they make is on the concessions. They make them very little on tickets. It's a movie that probably would have made them a couple million, making them a much bigger chunk now. Well, you see how they, if they really want to, you know, contribute and kind of, in, you know, influence the the movie theaters, right? You could you could fill those seats. Um, you just have to get a very, you know, easily gatherable population. Um, yeah. you know, like children, children's are pretty good. Like you can grab them and, and, and just kind of traffic, traffic the them into the theater. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> they kind of did something like that, not with children, but with adults, um, where they, uh, so they actually did this like as a Patreon or kind of a crowdsourcing oh, thing. There was, where see, DeSantis' they, plan was off by months. They were going to, that plane that was headed up from florida <laughs> you're actually gonna, <laughs> he's got <laughs> everyone tickets to see an advanced screening of the movie so what they did was before the movie came out is they sold they pre-order like you, you could you could buy or pre-order your ticket or you could pay into that so somebody could get a free ticket and they have this pool of money that is just saying hey if you want a free ticket um sign up for a thing donate money if you want and somebody will get a free ticket uh, you might also, and at the end of the movie, you go. There's like a QR code asking you to like donate so somebody can get free tickets because they're like, "Hey, we want as many people to see this as possible." And it's just like, okay, or you're just getting free money from people, which is that's probably like, the thing. That sounds like I mean, it's. I mean, it's above board, but that still sounds real sketch. It sounds like second cousins to like a pack, you know? Well, you know, it depends on oh, how yeah, many it's... people. So it depends on how many people are like requesting free tickets, and yeah. I don't know how many people are actually requesting free fucking tickets because I don't think that many people are actually going to see this movie. I just think it's being pushed in the news like crazy. We're pushing it, not mm-hmm. pushing for it, but we're talking I think, about it. I think there's a a sizable enough segment of people that would see this movie with a fervor that the average moviegoer wouldn't have to just a regular your run of the mill good movie. Yeah. Um so I'm sure that some of these people are seeing multiple times. I'm sure uh and in, in the right parts of America, like churches, are buying up mm-hmm. blocks yeah. of seats. Um it's like Passion of the Christ. You know, that's it's a it made Matrix level money. Yeah, and, I, and they they did put such a religious spin on it to where I think it does reach out to that that wasp um, category of people who they're like, all right, yeah, we'll we'll go see this for God because this is mm-hmm. something that they really I care mean, about. But it could be. Well, a, it's like I want to. I uh, again, like no one is for child sex trafficking here. Yeah. <laughs> like only child sex traffickers, I think support that business. But well, well like, I think I talked about this last week. The thing is like how much, what is this movie accomplishing? Like people uh, are aware that it <laughs> yes. happens. There is a government task force that's in charge of doing stuff about this it's like, but, but after a certain point, there's only so much you can do. Would it be nice to get rid of all the murders in the U S sure. But we can't like make a movie about the horrors of murder and then have everything be like, Oh yeah, we should stop killing each other. 
What a, that's a great idea. Chicago would not be what it is. Like training day should have ended all of the violence in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Bring awareness to murders and then we'll just get rid of murders. Instead, they're like, nah, come see our movie, fund our sketchy uh, 501c3s nonprofit. Because yeah, he has an organization that he's a say. part of. It's the Underground Railroad for child trafficking <laughs> shit. It's yeah. o- or our our um, Operation it's, Underground Railroad is what the organization's called. It's almost been ten years since Coney. We're, we're due for a repeat. Uh, yeah, but no, Jay, I mean, this kinda... is like imagine if a Coney movie came out when in two thousand twelve. This is the fucking same thing, and then now we're all looking into it, and we're like, "Oh, Coney wasn't like real. He was, yeah, just he existed like, at some th- point, but just like this guy's story isn't real. <laughs> like the mm. legitimate kids that he's talking about and referencing were not what he's portraying in the movie. It's like one of the kids was abused, but they were American." And they were being brought to Mexico to visit their grandma. And the person who was bringing them back and forth, essentially trafficking them, was abusing them. Yeah, he's an animal. Fuck him. Kill him. But Jim Caviezel didn't, or uh, Tim Ballard, didn't go down there, rescue him, find a locket of his sister, and be like, I gotta go back. Fuck my job. I'm starting this Operation Underground Railroad to go get this little kid's sister and and stop the the demon well, rats from sucking the blood gotta, of kids. I'm going to get these kids. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head there with, with the setup. Because here's, I mean, if I was going to run this as a scheme, here's how I'd run it. I would, in fact, offer the the tickets, not to the movie-going audience. I'm sure you'd, you'd have some out. But you would offer them... The the audience the uh, buyer would be large wealthy donors who could buy a lot of tickets at once and then distribute them as freebies through the yes. media networks. And you go, hey, and then- we're doing we're on the radio. We're selling. We got free tickets to the Sound of Freedom. Call in. Call our number two three and <laughs> two three and five. We'll all get free two free tickets. Yeah, and the beautiful icing yeah. on on top is scan the QR code at the end of the movie to give somebody else a free ticket. And are we sure you're even doing that? Or that that's just money to don't, your pocket, dog. Don't worry that you'll be registered to our emailing list. Yeah, yes. can we... Yeah. I, I know... I want to believe that's an organization trying to do the right thing. But um, I have a high degree of confidence that Operation Underground Railroad is essentially a Ponzi scheme. Well, not a Ponzi scheme, but... A fraudulent charity that has massive overhead that 90% of the money that comes in goes to. Yeah. I'll put it this way. You should think of the children. But you should think harder about people who say, think of the children. Yes. Ask yourself, is this really the most effective way to support this cause? Are you like Wu-Tang? Are you like Wu-Tang Clan? For the kids. <laughs> Wu-Tang is for everyone. Right. Speaking of Wu-Tang, coming in at number three. <laughs> <laughs> is, was How one exactly of them, is this? Was one of them of named Insidious? 
Uh, let's Did see. You, you got old dirty bastard, inspector deck, ghost face killer, <laughs> method man, Rizza Chizza. No, 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 no insidious. None of, them were, none of them were called the Red Door at some point. <laughs> Chef Raekwon. I mean, I don't know. Maybe uh, old dirty bastard changed his name too. <laughs> the Wu old Tang, Red Door at the one red point. Red Door comes in at number three, down from number one, 13 mil. Uh, grand total of 127 million worldwide. That's a, that's a profit. Ding ding ding. <laughs> yep. That's a profit. Got there. And it's that's also a, it's also a spotlight. <laughs> yeah, that's a horror movie over a hundred thousand dollars. Easy money every single day. That's Let's a chunky. Go. That's a chunky. <laughs> Insidious um, Part Twenty Nine coming out in a week. I've been told that this is. The, I've been I perused quite a few reviews. Um, I have received conflicting information of whether or not this is the fifth Insidious movie or the third Insidious movie. <laughs> You'll never um, know. I think it's it's got to be at least yeah, it's the fifth. I can see that here clearly. Um, it's reviewing. All right. Um, it's got a six out of ten on IMDb. It's got a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, let me pull up the Metacritic score. I wish wish Google would just have that in the hotbar for me. Um, Metascore is 45 with a user score of 5.1. So uh, mixed reviews, essentially. But we all know that those opinions don't mean shit. You have to go and find the real reviewers out there. And they they have been known to congregate in the user review sections of IMDb. So that's where we turn now. And we will gain some insight from Eric DC. Eric with a CK. Um, okay. 10 out of 10 review of Insidious the Red Door. Go see it. It's not perfect, but it's not bad either. Mind you, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Seeing the characters that made the first movie is pure nostalgia. I really like the emphasis they gave to the devil. It's not that terrifying, but it manages to scare you. And if you like the saga, you're going to love it. Ignore them and go watch it. It's soft in a certain sense, but it has its points where it makes you scared. I really liked it. It's not a perfect ending. But decent from any point of view. And once again, comma, five period ellipses. Don't listen to the critics. <laughs> ellipses. They only live to criticize. It will never have the final decision. I hope you enjoyed the movie as much as I do. And I hope you will continue with the other stories. At least in the third part, a door was left open. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Director, for leaving that genuine review. I didn't read the whole thing through. And they only lived to criticize. Sent me. I was not prepared for that. I don't know that I could have been prepared for that, but Oh, that's okay. that's that's a good one. I like that one. So I got a one out of ten. I'll do a, a short one and then I got a a decent a chunky monkey. For the second review. Would you say it's like an old priest and a young priest? <laughs> mm, yes. Here's the young priest right now. One out of ten. 
Even a small baby also laughed after watching this movie. By Kalpesh Jean. I went without much expectations to watch this on the big screen, but got more than I had expected, including a few nights of sleeplessness. A group of seven youngsters, four guys and three girls, decide to spend a night at a reportedly haunted hotel to celebrate the farewell of one of them leaving the USA. Despite people's warnings and other signs, signs trying to ward them off from here, they enter the hotel and then the truth dawns on them. This is a very basic film. No big actors, no hype, nothing, just simple film. But it all will scare the living daylights out of you. It has the essential ingredients to do just that. All actors have acted pretty well. And also, it does not have the stuff that spoils the essence of horror in many of the horror films. Like item songs, sleaze, <laughs> etc. Isn't sleaze like integral to the horror genre? Yeah. I don't know. Well, there are no songs at all. <laughs> da da da. But is but bi- <laughs> which is but basic an ingredient for a good horror flick. <laughs> Two out of twelve found that helpful. Horror. I don't know if you liked it or not. <laughs> well, we rated it a one out of ten, right? <laughs> I know, but like he said it gave him sleepless nights. That's kind of yeah, like, ah, they're want, not like they're not bad. No, I... Yeah, horror, no a genre, a genre well-known for its uh, lack of sound design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, before I give this review, just a heads up, all uh, Illuminati sleeper agents, you want to skip this one. This has spoilers. Um, rest of you, on to the review. Uh, from Trevor Bumbarger. Insidious the Red Door, 5 out of 10. It was okay. Insidious the Red Door was okay, but somewhat confusing and very dragged out. I jumped a couple times, which is good. <clears throat> uh, required characters. Get through T Do GJ Run is to us. To do us, us, six, six, union, union, TN, two, hour, 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 seven, year, Russo, to us, us, us. If us, fifth is fifth to Yukari. I quihe eight two eight nine two eight. Peter, did you start a TikTok FPC live stream in the middle of this read? I I geem are towards you, Yun X in TX GT. Tito DJ Run is to us. Tito us TH six. It's Run Union TN to our or our seven year get the Russo to us 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 if fifth it's fifth to Yukari IQ high eight two eight nine two eight. I E M R towards you, Yun X N T X. heard Zero out of zero. Found that helpful. Can I can I see that? Yeah. Review? So I mean, it's very obvious uh, for for those lacking context and those currently in a hypnotic seizure. Um, that was him trying to fill out the character limit for that review. I see. Yeah, I I've gone. Um what now like eight no probably like 10 years now uh i haven't had one of my apps and seizures in about 10 years um well 
Zero days broke since last incident. Flip. He broke that we record. It's a it's a move Fuck. I've made many a time. Um, I like that he referenced DJ Run twice in that rant. Uh, so yeah, he's it's the listening. weird like breaks for coherency that really get me. I'm like, there are words in here. Yeah, I. Jeez, maybe is... it's to get around like a spam filter. Maybe I don't know. I feel like that's that's more effort than just writing a more detailed review. <laughs> but what do I know? Um, YKJDH has a ten out of ten review of Insidious: The Red Door, entitled "Intelligent Horror Movie," submitted July seventh. This movie further explains how the demons have corrupted this family and continue to haunt and terrify them. The moral of this final chapter is love conquers all. Sort of like the meaning behind Shining, where evil spirits are all around us trying to corrupt the families and only love and support of one another can pull us through. I think we watched different versions of The Shining. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ah, yes, The Shining, that family film about bonding and love. This is the third movie, which really is quite good, with predictable jump scares and decent special effects, but also a character we care about and good direction. The little boy from the first movie is all grown up now and is dealing with his eerie experiences again, but this time, the challenge he faces must be done alone. Through a series of some decent moments, he must find the way to stop the demon and has terrorized his family once and for all. No spoilers here, but the ride is pretty wild and creepy. <laughs> but is this truly the end? Depends on how much money this movie makes. Stick around for the post credit scene. <laughs> 5 hour 12 found that helpful. <laughs> All right. That's a new accent for me. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> <Right on> the <laughs> ground. <sighs> All right, long one. Let's go. One out of ten by uh, Modian Nush or Mod Ian Ush. Um, there's a the the yelling in the pitch and tone. You know, that's mm-hmm. there's all capital letters when I do that. So just when you hear it, just understand it. You can do what a I pointless do. and a cash grab sequel. And no, in parentheses, I am not review bombing. Fair enough. Okay. So I hated it. But for genuine reasons, and before reading my review, just know that I was actually excited for this film. I didn't had I didn't had any expectations, but I was excited. I even rewatched all four prequels before watching this, and now I cannot believe what I'm giving the uh, this movie a one out of ten rating. I hardly gave that rating to any movie, but Insidious: The Red Door is just that disappointing. I am genuinely disappointed because this film is so pointless. There was no reason to make this movie at all. They did not had. They did not had. <laughs> Fucked. <laughs> it's have. <laughs> 
They did not have a story worth telling, or I should say, they did not have. Yes! My man, he did it. He did it. We can all make a comeback. Everybody likes a good comeback. Uh, they did not have a story at all. Their only pitch for this movie might be the Lambert family is back, and after they forgot to write the compelling story and the Lambert family characters. <laughs> the selling point of this film uh, doesn't even feel the same. The entire story is so forced. It doesn't feel like that is like, like all this is happening in an organic and natural way as if they had an obligation to make this movie with that story. They shouldn't have made they did it. He did it right away. <laughs> the film said, even I could have written a much more compelling story than this. And there was nothing at stakes by the end of the movie, parentheses climax. <laughs> Everything felt same old, same old. And, and since there was no story to utilize an hour and 47 minutes, uh, the movie was so slow and boring. I felt like I didn't even watch a real movie. We thought Insidious Chapter 3 and The Last Key were awful, but they are masterpiece in front of this one. Those two at least explored and developed Elise's story, but this one doesn't develop anything. It was so pointless. Pointless! <laughs> That's like it. Oh, it's just a cash grab sequel targeted to exploit the small bit small but potent fan base of Insidious franchise. No wonder Sony didn't advertise it like across the Spider-Verse film recently because they knew <laughs> S number sign exclamation <laughs> because they knew shit, maybe? I guess. They had in their, oh yeah. Because they knew the shit they had in their hands because of Blumhouse. It was all caps and it was spaced out weird. It was confusing. Uh, no Hard Feelings was, e was, uh, was even advertised better by Sony Pictures. In fact, they didn't even have <gasps> anything to advertise for Insidious 5. Everything has been already shown in two trailers that were released. Even all the jump scares. I absolutely hated it. Shame on those writers. Fuck them in their strike. <laughs> also, one more thing bothers me. <laughs> Is that with every Insidious movie, they change the fun fundaments and dynamics. <laughs> they change the fundaments and dynamics. Oh, no, not the, the fundaments. <laughs> How will Elise explain Keep the your farther. damn government hands off my fundaments. <laughs> In Insidious is completely different than how the further works in Insidious the Red Door and Insidious the Last Key. But Insidious the Red Door is a bigger mess than Insidious the Last Key. 2018. 36 out of 67 found that. that was, oh my god. That was like a fucking that was a journey. movie review. <laughs> that was a fucking journey. He fucked up at the end. That movie said, is so insidious, it'll make insidious look like insidious. <laughs> Fundaments. 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 Oh yeah, man. I wish he, we I wish we had enough people to sell merch to because we would totally make. <laughs> yeah. He could have stopped. He could have not pressed. He could have stopped. <laughs> how, he could have stopped. He could have stopped. <laughs> <'Cause> we, <laughs> how much do you think it would cost to rebadge Altoids as fun, fundaments <laughs> and sell them? <laughs> hey, hey, Jimmy, grab me my fundaments out of my purse. 
That's see again. That'll go. That's what you bring to the uh, the sound of freedom screening. You you know your fundamental Christian. <laughs> <laughs> the little cross shaped mints, and they taste like they taste like communion wafers. You'd think they go with the grape wine flavor, but no, they taste like the <laughs> communion bread. Um, finally, five out of ten from Akuso Man Two. Um, all right, five out of ten. I. Okay, F- further equals Spirit World from Avatar The Last Airbender. This whole time I was watching this film, I was being reminded of the Spirit World from Avatar The Last Airbender. Dalton and his dad, Dalton? Dalton and his dad can travel to the Spirit World, and it is essentially the same world, except it's occupied by evil spirits, hence the monster. Whatever they do in the Spirit World has effects in the real world, like closing a door, or the monster choking one of Dalton's friend, but you can't see anything. It was literally the Spirit World. Unlike Aang being the only one that could be a bridge between both worlds, Dalton and his dad are able to visit and see the world occupied by dead spirits. No, nothing too crazy happened story-wise. A uh, cu- couple of jump scares and the monster screaming into the camera after moments of silence. Uh, but but overall, it was an okay film. Uh, the film has a steady going leading up to the climax, but it, it does just abruptly end, though. I felt like nothing got resolved, and they kind of just went in and out of the further getting scared and screaming. Zero. I, uh... Zero. They really named their evil spirit world the further. I'll take I'll take uh, comparisons I didn't expect for six hundred, Alex. <laughs> just just firing them off out here. All Straight right, out let's of the field. let's round that out. That's insidious to the red door. In fourth, we have Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny bringing in twelve point two six million dollars for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, bringing its total worldwide gross to three hundred and eight million dollars, um, so it is it is now technically eight million dollars in the green, <laughs> or in the black, because uh, the three hundred million dollar investment supposedly. Um, Elemental finds itself in fifth, down nine point three percent. That's not a very big drop. Nine. Point oh nine nine million dollars for Elemental, three hundred seventeen million dollar worldwide gross for that film. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse finds itself in sixth, um, six point oh five two million dollars, uh, still in twenty five hundred theaters. So it's going to be a minute before that Blu-ray drops. Six million dollars, as I said there, bring its total worldwide to six hundred and sixty-six million dollars. Um yeah. Mark of the Beast. Uh Rise of the Beast finds itself in seventh. Uh three point four million dollars, down thirty-two point six percent, leaving four hundred theaters. Uh available available to stream now on, on digital on demand. Uh, four hundred twenty-two million dollars worldwide for that. That's I feel like that's probably a good return for for yeah. that movie. Uh, no hard feelings. A movie that was referenced in one of our IMDb user reviews. Um, finds itself in eighth, three point two eight million dollars. Um, bringing its total worldwide to seventy-nine million dollars. I I think that's probably in the green for Sony there. Um, Joyride 
uh, slips down into ninth, dropping three spots, down 53.6%, uh, $12 million uh, total gross, with only 235000 of that being from international sources. So I got to assume that's like three theaters in border towns in Canada. <laughs> um, and it's way out there. Yeah, rounding out the top 10, we have The Little Mermaid, um, $2.399 million, total worldwide gross of $555 million for that. So uh, not doing great compared to some of the other movies out there. Yeah. Uh, um, but it is thoroughly trouncing Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Yeah, I was going to say shout out <laughs> to uh, Ruby Gilman for sinking in three weeks. Oh, God. $35 million for a movie that cost at least $100 million to make. At least. Yeah, what's, let's see. What's yeah. that budget? Uh, oh, $70 million. This is the kind okay. of thing that uh, if if this happens again, like this is the kind of fuck up that like bankrupts companies. Yeah, DreamWorks. I mean, they they, they make good uh, stuff, but let's see how. Yeah, like um, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish kind of prop them up. Yep. So I think those two kind of wash because that was unexpectedly successful, yep. and this movie was a big flop. Um, and they're still riding. They're they're propped up by How to Train Your Dragon merchandise. I think still. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at this. Um. Well, I mean, Jane Fonda is a big name, but one, two, three, role. four. <laughs> uh, the cast is uh, Lana Lana Condor, Annie Murphy from uh, she was famous for doing uh, shoot, what's the. Um, so famous. I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> on the name. I uh, Kristen loves this show. Let I never finished up, it. Me, I'll look it up. Yeah. It's the the one about the rich family buying the motel. Oh, uh, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, she's uh yeah she's in Shit's Creek. Um, did a Black Mirror episode and then Liza Koshy. But did she do a Black Mirror episode? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a lookalike. That was yeah. her AI portrait. That was did the Black Demir episode. Don't what? call it a callback. What the fuck is this? She was in Annie Murphy was in this Praise Petey. What is what is this show? Praise Petey. Like, I saw one. I saw one frame of this. I'm like, this is this is that really bottom of the barrel animated adult comedy like this is this is like the xerox of a xerox oh wait paradise pd no it's no praise praise pd, PD. Praise PD. what the fu- yeah what is this <laughs> this is a very weird huh i don't know annie murphy plays pd so uh streaming on hulu it's a freeform animated great oh freeform go, go watch it holy crap. oh she was also uh, in two episodes of blue mountain state <laughs> yeah what are, the, what are the user reviews like the like on this bad boy is it out yet even uh, no it's no. it's upcoming praise pd okay i was gonna say i don't see the review button anywhere so good it has no reviews yet. Um 
All right. Well, uh, that's uh, Annie Murphy <laughs> and yeah. her life. Yeah. That's that's Got about him. all we we need to talk about. Shout out to uh, black guys in twenty five. Sorry, what? <laughs> you know, oh, black, black ice. ice. Yeah, yeah, black ice. Oh, black <laughs> ice. Yeah, yeah. Watch out for black, black ice. It's very dangerous. Yeah. Oh, is it? Uh, oh, it's 20, the. the the uh, the black the black hockey player. Black story. Ice exposes a history of racism in hockey through unsolved stories of black hockey players, both past, present, in a predominantly white sport. Um, okay. I'd be interested to hear its arguments and some rebuttals to that. Uh, to my knowledge, I mean, is there racism in hockey? Probably just by virtue of there having been Being so a sport few black that's been around for more than fifty years black uh hockey players but i think a lot of the lack of diversity in hockey stems from hockey being very expensive and yeah um a lot of lower income black people not being able to get into the sport i guess i mean i guess i would call that systemically racist well the uh yes the the there is a threshold to get in that well lower income white people also would not be able to get yes, into it. Yes. Um, it's also, well, it's also generally like you look at who the NHL, um, like perspectives are usually, uh, Canadian and Russian, Eastern European, um, European yeah. Eastern Europeans as well. So, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot in the black population over there. Um, I, I'm sure it won't be long until we finally get, I would be surprised if we get more, like Indian people or Pakistani people um, because Canada, I think, brings in a lot of people from Pakistan and India um, where if they start growing up there and their kids start becoming Canadian, they're going to want to partake in hockey and whatnot. So um, schools are going to offer programs like that. Uh, Also, fun factoid about hockey from your local... Okay. Buffalonian. Um, the most common birthday in the NHL. You, well, I guess it's you have a better chance at becoming uh, a part of the NHL if you were born in January. Because you get more ice time and hockey time, and you get more visibility as you grow up and as you age. It's like the most optimal time where the scouts can see you. Um, and where you are the biggest compared to the rest of your age group. They hire an astrologist at the league yeah. when they're recruiting. Like, what's yeah. your sign? <laughs> See, now yeah. this is this is where I get in trouble. With no, with, with really no one, uh, because I don't know what the sign for January is. I think it's, I think it's Sagittarius. Let me see. I... Uh, Zodiac Sigan. Uh, it is, in fact, um, well, it's Capricorn for early January, Aquarius for late January. It's the age of Aquarius. Yeah, a lot of Aquarius NHL people. That's um, little did we know that was that movie was about hockey. Yeah, um, black hockey. I'm going to make the executive decision because I have perused a lot of articles and have found very little of substance other than a Roblox data breach. Oh, there's, uh, I mean, there's a couple ones. I'll, I'll, I can do one at least. Um, I was gonna skip it and just go straight to BlackBerry. That's fine. I'll do. I'll just read the headline. 
scaring oh, everyone right. and inspiring. <laughs> Get uh, ready for your, these timestamps. Are going to be like a two minute gaming news. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> um, from Insider, eighty-seven um, percent of classic video games are critically endangered. Um, which, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so um, I guess it's old games that have no, you know, they're it's uh, data rot. They're uh, stuck on on the original platform. Yeah. With with no way out, no legitimate way out. I'm sure the ROMs have been dumped, but yes, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're not counting ROMs. They're counting authentic in the same cartridge and on the same console and stuff like that. Um, I think it sparked a request to submit these to like the library of congress yeah it it is an interesting question should these be uh should the library of congress start preserving video games i mean they represent a larger uh business by gross dollars than movies do currently and it's been that way for a number of years now Mm -hmm. i think a lot of them have had very large cultural impacts like street fighter two very famously um you could show people uh like just pixel blocks rows of pixels with the correct color schemes of street fighter two characters and like 85 percent of the people polled were able to correctly identify which character that was meant to be um so that's that's cultural impact like stuff like that freaking even I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll go the most mainstream route there is, but like, we just had multi-million-dollar grossing Mario and Sonic movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not yeah. Also, also the um, the amount of like products that it that are released based on solely video games, like a Minecraft, and the effect that that's had on on kids. I mean, I my uh, what I got sister-in-law is, you know. Neither of them played video games growing up. Not not big gamers. They're more theater and into outdoor stuff, and not a big thing. Also, when they brought up their daughter, not big into video games. They're more into like shows and theater and all that stuff. Um, she fucking loves Minecraft. Plays a little bit of Minecraft. Mm. Loves it. Addicted to the thing. And it's like, what? How? How did you like get involved with this? Nobody showed. It, it was just. Through her, through people at school, through uh, just discourse and availability, and like a low threshold to get in, like a low low barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, we can play Minecraft on a, a calculator. There's nothing to it. Just and uh, yeah, even even you know, if it's you, like it's like Legos electronically. Yeah, yeah. Even if you want to be real strict about it and be like, oh no, because video games aren't like text. You know, in like the same way that a book or a, a film or a music piece of music is a text where you just you interact by reading it. How many Western RPGs have we had that are 40 hour long, it, huge narratives with mm-hmm. yeah. incredible depth of writing? You know, even Fallout, KOTOR, Mass Effect. Yeah. Every, I, could... I mean, it's maybe a little Quite a bunch easy, of them. but every Final Fantasy. The entirety of Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> See, that's what the right. Patriots don't want. <laughs> don't want the video games that's preserved. Right. <laughs> Shadow Congress. <laughs> A weapon to surpass Metal Congress. 
That's those uh, are the actual space lasers. Yeah. They don't want they don't want those Kojima uh politics infiltrating the use the use um just a quick headline I'll I'll read here. Um despite uh Shooting having been wrapped for two years, Eli Roth's Borderlands movie is still over a year away. And I don't think it's going to happen any quicker, given... They had one guy working post-production. Oh, oh, it's... it's They have a release date. Randy Pitchford, Greasy Randy himself, has tweeted out <laughs> that... Uh, Slip August... sliding out of his hands. August 9th, 2024, The Borderlands Movie, starring Kate Blanchett, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Ariana Greenblatt, uh, Florian I thought you were going to say Ariana Grande for a second. I, I thought it was, to too, for a second. I saw Ariana and a G name, and I was like, what? And Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> so, so who's... All right, I guess my only question is, who's going to be Claptrap? Is that, Kev- that uh, going to be Kevin Hart? My guess would be Jack. No, Kevin Hart's playing Roland. Oh, is I thought I thought I didn't. Re- is Roland short? <laughs> That's no, <laughs> Roland is not short. <laughs> Roland is the average height. Well, small, small. Oh, Ariana Greenblatt's gonna be Tiny Tina. Hmm. Who who plays Claptrap then? Um, I don't know. Or. God forbid there's not Claptrap in your Borderlands movie. Oh, I'm sure he'll I've, be in there. It might just be the voice actor. Yeah. I mean... I've got a head... I, all I want is... I want Claptrap, and I want Handsome Jack. I don't... Th- I think this is the first one. I don't the think you're one. Handsome Jack. Uh, Jack Black is uh, Claptrap. Okay. That, That's going to be interesting. I see that. Who's Brick? <laughs> is that Kevin uh, Hart? Not Kevin Hart. Uh, Kevin... Wait, who is the other one? Kevin James. Oh, Kevin Hart is Roland. He's Roland. Uh, Ariana Green- Greenblatt, Tiny mm. Tina, Oliver Richards is Crom. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is Tannis. Kate Blanchett is Lilith. Uh, Gina Gershon is Moxie. Uh, Bobby Lee is Larry. So they're just not going to have Brick or Mordecai in this game <laughs> or uh, movie. Let me, let me skip down. I'm not seeing Mordecai. I'm not seeing. Brick. Let me see all cast and crew. What the fuck? <laughs> if I gotta go at all cast and crew, it means that they're not yeah. really gonna be in there. I They are not listed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's gonna be disappointing. So let's talk about a movie that hasn't been disappointing with uh, Blackberry here. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad we saved this for last, but I'm also kind of upset that we didn't get this out here first last for a while well part of the reason is that i think when we start when we did the first one of these i don't think it was out yet okay. or it had a very small theatrical engagement um but yeah this is the last in our uh head-to-head comparisons of uh the product biopic genre that has exploded into cinemas this year um, lasts for a while, yes. I should say, because Unfrosted is is coming out and it will be included the, in these rankings. The Joker card in the product biopic battle royale. I do not believe that on a technical filmmaking level, 
that Unfrosted will surpass BlackBerry. It may be more entertaining in some respects, but um, I don't think this is going to be knocked off the podium as being the best movie of the bunch. Um, yeah. Currently, my rankings go Air, um, Tetris, Flamin' Hot. Am I missing one? Uh, those are the only. Those are the three. Okay, yeah. Uh, but uh, Air is going to get bumped down to number two by this, and I think largely that has to do with this movie being a little more like of a historical account, I Honest, guess. Maybe. Honestly, yeah. maybe the wrong word, but um, more, it felt let's say, verisimilitudinous. More, yeah, it, le- it felt a little less dramatized. Um, that and I feel like the product, not so much me being into BlackBerry, but like me being into technology and, and the sort of stuff, I'm more interested in the development of this product than I was uh, the Jordans. I think this hits, I'm not a, not a sneakerhead. This hits I'm a close tech to guy. us as as '90s as '90s kids. We haven't brought that one up in a while. Um, as <laughs> did you know we were all born in the '90s? As <laughs> tech as tech boys, and also as people who work in engineering companies, <laughs> work yes. in the technology industry. This hits yeah, this all is, those um, buttons. This is pretty cool. I think I think I had a lot of fun with this movie more than I did, a little more than I did with Air. Um, I you know you could say that the acting in the Air probably was a little bit um, more professional. Or this you had like, bigger named actors, had... but I think the acting in this movie was. Be- I think all in all, like of of the movies we watched, I think this had the best script. I think this had the best direction, mm-hmm. and I think this had the best acting. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I just think I just think it was Glenn Howerton who did the best performance and everybody was kind of like just one note around. Oh, uh, the guy who played Mike wasn't... was really good. He showed a lot of nuance to his character. Yeah. I felt. Um, yeah, let me pull up the whole cast because again, we had some great uh, talent. Jade Bruhill, um, Carrie Elwes. Yeah, I, I Carrie Elwes. Car- Love yeah, Carrie Elwes. Well, he was he in wasn't this. in this movie for much. He he shows up. But he does has he, one in person scene. Right in the but that he crushes role. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it's not a lot of actors that you've probably heard of, uh, before. Like, Glenn Harrington is unquestionably the star power in this movie, but yeah. there are a lot of great character actors that I've seen in a lot of like TV shows and stuff that play character roles in this movie very well, very believably. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's people who've been, yeah, again, they have a lot of experience with, I, I guess I would call them A-minus level actors, um, because they're they're not, all, like, the top billing in any movie they're in. Well, they're I, not I, A-listers, I that but they're quality actors. Yeah, Jay, Jay Baruchel, who's play, who plays um, uh, Mike, Mike in this, um, he's he was Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's, and he's, he's, in, he's been in a lot of stuff. Um, he's been in a lot of stuff. A lot of these are Canadian actors uh, who have done a lot of Canadian uh, television and movies. Like uh, Matt Johnson, who plays Doug, is a uh, pretty yes. prolific director um, up in Canada. Yep. He. I, I actually, after I watched this, I was like, who... 
who is who is responsible for this? And then I learned it was it was Matt Johnson. I, I looked a little bit more into him and learned a little bit about his style, um, and also realized that he was he played the role of Doug in this movie, who turned out well, and we'll talk about it. Is I think in the end, like low key one of my favorite characters because he plays a very important small role. Yeah, he's he's kind of like. He and like if it is kind of funny, the parallel they draw to here. Um, so if you've never read it, the 2003 book Masters of Doom is an excellent read. Yes. Um, and they pull a lot of parallels between RIM and id Software, and uh, Doug definitely is a, a man inspired by John Romero. <laughs> yes, his, his characterization in this is definitely that. Um, they make it very clear at the end. Um, With the picture. Yeah, the picture that is... I never saw... When I looked at some of the discussion around this movie, no one ever mentioned that, um, even offhand, but which surprised me because... They like, might not I know. I got it immediately. Like, <laughs> it's that, it was that picture right at the end of the movie of them all together... Um, at RAM is all the characters at RAM, and it's a direct. It's like a mock-up, um, kind of one to one. So one to one staging, classic, yeah. Yeah, it software uh, shot with John Romero making the doofy face in the foreground, and Mike playing the role of John Carmack with his huge glasses, kind of looking looking yeah. the same way. Um, and they do mention John Carmack, <laughs> although. Yeah. Shame, shame on Matt Johnson for calling it ID and not id. Like, yeah. way to be a poser. <laughs> Unless, the, you know, I was very young in the 90s. Maybe that's what they called it before it became id. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Every, every time I've ever heard the company called it, it's been called yeah. id, and it was named id after the Freudian psychological concept, which yeah, is... Yeah, because I was going to say, there's no, there's no dots in there. If it was ID, you know, I feel like they would... But he was correct that John Carmack would have been an excellent hire for what they were working <laughs> <Yes>. on. <laughs> but um, they could not have afforded John Carmack. Yeah, yeah this was this was also interesting to see like a startup um like the I think I feel like it was a bit a bit dramatized, like at least the stuff that we saw. But um I really you know, we they we, we only saw they, they had to yeah. ham it up to kind of see like, oh, from time to time I'm sure they would do real work, but you know, I think from they just showed a little bit too much to where our perspective was like, oh, they're goofing off like nonstop. Um, yeah, it's a loose office. Well, maybe it was a little bit looser and more renegade mm-hmm. back in the day. But yeah, yeah it, it, like there's another parallel to id software. In the early days of id, you know, they would all go up to a lake house with computers they stole from their day job and order in a bunch of pizzas and with Diet Coke and just program all night. And mess around and have and fun and play you games can make and watch a viable movies. product that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. So the movie itself, like, it carries it. it it's a lovely blend of can, good Canadian humor and a, a really solid um, business drama. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not trying to come out of left field really with anything. It's trying. It's just doing a, a classic tried and true rise and fall story you know yeah and i i really enjoyed i think one of the things that set this apart to me is like yes the acting in air is really good 
but the characters didn't have a lot of texture to them. The characters in this movie are wonderfully layered. Like uh, Glenn Howerton's character, Jim uh, Balsley. Uh, Balsley. Um, <laughs> like he's a unrepentant asshole for most of the movie. But at the same time, he genuinely believed in this product enough to risk so much. Like he he mortgaged his house to pay the staff. He you know he didn't have any option but to leave his job because he got fired. But he invested mm-hmm. heavily personally in this. He put in a lot of work to try to get this company off the ground. So you like could see that he while he is kind of selfishly motivated in the end, um, and overall he did what he felt he had to do to like get this company off the ground because he yeah. believed in the product. And there are times in the middle of the movie where it seems like everyone's clicking. Like when they when they talked about the messenger, they well, I, we're kind of pushing the spoilers, but yeah, I guess it's a documented fact that Blackberries <laughs> had free messaging because they found a back door around uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know most carriers uh, wireless yeah. transmitters, and um, they all were like really excited about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the yeah, and the character interaction to me is. And the way the the scenes are all written, um, it reminds me almost in a way of, and this was part of when I looked after about Matt Johnson's style. He his earlier movies um, did sort of a Christopher Guest thing, where he'd set up the the skeleton of a scene, and let the actors play it out and flesh it out as they go. And he would often do that in public and kind of do a shoot the rodeo kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would often get in his earlier works, like a man on the street would come up while they're doing a scene and they would like become part of the movie for like five seconds. <laughs> and then they would just, you know, they'd go because like you're a dude on the street and you walk up to these guys having an argument and maybe you're trying to cop a couple dollars for a beer. All right. And that just, it just gives it that extra, extra layer. And this movie is fully scripted, I believe. I don't think it, they did it. There really didn't seem like there was any sort of um, that kind of scene. Like the script no, was all I, nothing out. felt improvised. Yeah, um, but still, the use of the use of dead air and like the the space in between lines and delivery is a critical. It's a really important part of comedy, and he uses that and drama, and he uses that very effectively. Yeah, and like the, this movie does have humor and levity in it, um, but it is not like at its core a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's it very much lighthearted and gets more dramatic as it goes, but never forgets to sprinkle in some some low key. Yeah, and it it kind of the tone kind of mirrors the the company's evolution, right? Where it started out as a group of guys with a vision and uh, a passion for what they were doing, and it became slowly more and more corporate as time wore on and you know a lot of the things that made them unique in the first place they compromised on in the name of growing the business which unfortunately happens a lot um i mean i guess we can push in the spoiler but like it's history like the story (laughs) the story is out there again (laughs) just highlights like um again glenn howerton if you if you if for nothing else, go watch Glenn Howerton be yeah. a, a different flavor 
of sociopath asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable because you, you you do a good. It's really, I guess, it is a skill uh, to portray a character that people want love to hate. You mm-hmm. know, um, it, it's another to like drop nuggets of like. Um, Relate not relatability, but no. I I would say empathy. relatability and they, empathy. Uh, relatability, yeah. empathy. You know, you saw, uh, uh, you know, his character from the beginning was like a hard ass. A, a like he was very rough around the edges and uh, ethically ambiguous with the way he did things. But there are certain times where he's where, like when they said, you know, never lie to me, and he said okay, and then he tells him the truth. So he's he's opening up some honesty there. Um, he kind of lets uh, Mike t- kind of take the way, take uh, take it away after he's trying to pitch. Oh, that was such a great scene! Where yeah, I I, I want to talk about this scene. So yeah. <laughs> we'll let's, put up let's the spoiler just say, warning. Definitely watch this movie. If you, yes, if you don't want to watch Seek any it out. other biopic movie, don't worry about it. Like yeah. this is this, oh, this is beyond the rest. This has heart. This has like a story that uh, Matt Johnson wanted to tell. Yeah. So there's this great scene where they're trying to sell the Blackberry. Um, and this is where it's dramatized because I did read a little bit about it. The name Blackberry was like uh, come up with based on how the buttons looked like kind of dimples on, on Blackberries. Yeah. And that I mean, was from a marketing a firm. That dramatized in this, obviously. But anyway, the, the scene. So they have the prototype. Uh, Mike accidentally leaves in the taxi cab. So Jim has to start the presentation by himself and he pitches the idea of this phone that does email and you put a computer in the phone and the Verizon execs like you think you're the first person to have this idea we've been working that shit for like a year we got 10 phones on it before the network crashed and then Mike shows up with the prototype and Jim's like no it's not gonna work they already tried it and he's like uh he sticks his head in the (laughs) like he's not even in the boardroom meeting but he like he rubbernecks his way in and starts just ramming. He's like, "How'd you do it? Questions. Did you have them? Did you set them up as individual clients on your network?" And they're like, "Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So what did I get you? Like ten phones?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like he calls it, and like I think in that moment alone, I think everybody's like, "Oh, okay. He knows." Like just without us telling any more information, he knows the business. So that I think allows them to just hear everything he's got to say about this this product. They showed that um, he was knowledgeable. They didn't tell you how knowledgeable is. Never once well, did they say yeah, Mike's the best engineer in in Canada for this sort of well, thing. They, yeah. That's they I, did they did have a um, they did have a newspaper clipping that said uh, Canada's boy genius drops out of high but school. But they showed it to you. I, they yeah, didn't, didn't tell it to the you. Yeah. The, so you're like, okay, this guy's smart. He knows his shit. Obvious. Um, and yeah. I, I think also just to be able to come up with a, uh, uh, the the development of the BlackBerry overnight, you know, to put together a uh, a prototype overnight was dramatic. Dramatic. And the other me. the other great uh, part about that is like they pull he pulls out the prototype, and the guys. The Verizon execs kind of skeptical, and that that the guy who played him is a wonderful character actor who's been in a lot of TV show yes, stuff. I don't, I'm trying to look for him in here, but I don't know his name. Um, and he's like, "Wow, this is certainly the world's largest pager." And then Mike's like, "Actually, no, it's the world's smallest email terminal." You're like, Bam. which witty, <laughs> smart, 
and picking up on that marketing mm-hmm. as well. That's a yeah. That's a very that's a thing I've seen with we again. We're that's why it hits for us. one of the reasons it hits for us is that we're in the technical industry, and I've seen that change from um, kids. A lot of folks, a lot of my peers, right out of college, right there, we're all unsure of ourselves. We're going into like the real world where we have to do work, and you're still thinking on the books, and you make that transition over over time into like, all right, I know how to, you know, I'm picking up how to do business, business. Yeah. Not just. You know, it's also really it's also really interesting to see how far we've come in such a short amount of time. I mean, you don't have to compare it 20 years, but how much we came in just the what, what was the beginning of this movie? 2002? Um, no, 1996. Um, yeah. 1996, yeah. Well, when was that the was it? So yeah, 96 when they... is when they they had the prototype. I think the first BlackBerry went on sale in 98. Um yeah. But yeah, so it starts in the mid late nineties and goes up to two thousand seven when right. the iPhones announced, which as we all know, ultimately killed Blackberry. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was something that IMDB actually flagged as a factual error. Um it wasn't just the Apple uh iPhone. It was also the rise, and this makes a lot of sense, of Google's Android operating well, system. Yeah, because um, Smartphones in so, general, but the the iPhone was what kind of created the, without the without the iPhone, Android wouldn't exist because there would be no need for that platform. I, I don't know. Um, uh, I still think Stadia is around, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Google can do no wrong in my yeah. book. We kind of skipped over like what I really you know one of. It, this movie lets you know right away that it's very good because um, <laughs> the two things that immediately sets up are um, Jim Balsillies, uh, his character, the total businessman, like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross asshole. And then immediately right after sets up um, Doug and Mike as the as the just total egghead nerds. And they do it in a great way where they're like trying to bumble uh, through getting set up and they're horribly awkward setting up their their presentation but yeah. at the same time like almost offhand right mike fixes the pager and he knows immediately what to do and mm-hmm. the only question is can he do it quick enough before jim comes into the meeting and that establishes yeah. everyone's characters and is funny and is like oh okay i get it yeah and it's it's great too cuz that that sets up a, a larger like theme that they play off at the end where uh, the reason that it, there's a hiss that bothers Mike and the reason there's a hiss is because you know it's it was cheap. not it's cheap made in China crap which is something that he didn't ever want his products to be uh, but you know by the end uh, to compete with the iPhone and they have to get the uh, Blackberry Storm out on time um, they had to move production to China and bites them in the ass because, you know, they all have shoddy workmanship and that hiss. Right. And the last scene of the movie is it's, him going through all these boxes and they, trying to fix all set, these boxes. They do a perfect way to wrap setups up. and payoffs um, because they set up all that stuff in the beginning. You know, the good enough. No, good enough is not good. That's the enemy of humanity. We got to do our best. Yeah. I hate this made in China stuff. And those lines, again, they come back at the end. 
and in a in a really tasteful way. This is not the uh, what was it tomorrow, the the war for tomorrow or whatever it was. Yeah, the tomorrow war. Yeah, um, that one was really bad payoffs, like two on the nose payoffs. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, these ones are more tasteful, and apparently, I'll just just cutting around here, the last scene, that last shot uh, as they pan out to the where are they now uh, sequence was both a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark and to the social network, apparently. I never saw the social network. Me neither. So I couldn't say. But it was kind of trying to be an homage to both those things, especially because uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was another setup in the beginning of the movie where they would do their movie night with everyone. Excellent uh, taste in the movie. They got Raiders in there. They got They Live in there. Uh, Doug was wearing an Army of Darkness t-shirt at one point. Yeah. <laughs> the, I... I the, Again, Doug wore that bandana the entire early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. I have no oh, doubt man. that the actual Doug did that. I, I'm <laughs> I'm sure he's still wearing that bandana to this day yeah. while he enjoys um, his his not so small fortune. <laughs> but the very, like I knew I was like, oh, man, this is maybe hidden too close when everyone's partying as they play Return of the Mac. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, when like, Return of the Mac came on, I was like, <laughs> I immediately started <laughs> dancing. It's just a Pavlovian response now. <laughs> it's just... yeah. And and I guess this is where I, I should mention, like, why Doug is is low-key my favorite character, because, he again, he's kind of a supporting role, right? His character is a side character. The two main co-leads, right, are, are uh, Mike and, and Jim. Um, so in the beginning, right, it's very clear, like, the impression that they give you is, like, Doug is, like, he's just kind of, like, riding on Mike. He's, like, trying to drive from the backseat. And there's yeah. some really funny jokes. Mike's in charge, and he's not, and he doesn't agree to your deal, <laughs> right? Right, Mike? Yeah. Um, and he's just he's a goof off, and he's like a liability. And you're like, ah. Oh, right. They give you they give you a lot of opportunities to question his value and not like him in the beginning. Uh, right. and just not to being, kind of specifically like in the he's he's like a lazy like a kind of a, a louse, like a, a layabout kind of guy, which yeah. they, they emphasize that. Like he works there and he'll do the work, but um, he's, he seems like he's had, his heart's not in the game. It, you know, he doesn't have the eye for, for growth that right. the company needs. But the part that I really like is that key scene, you know, after, as we do the whole transition of the corporate culture and he starts, having to cut um you know cut all the fun stuff out of the office all the the movie nights and the the games and the land parties and he he brings in michael ironsides <laughs> to just dominate scenes because michael ironside is <laughs> fucking amazing um he has what you would call screen presence <laughs> yeah and it's it's this really good moment because you're like you feel you, you kind of empathize with uh, Mike's character at this point, where you're like, um, yeah, like he's got to get this done, but he's also kind of turning into sort of a like a corporate monster, a moral compass, yeah, yeah, and you know he does that, and Doug finally comes to him, he's like, with that that line that hit me was just like, why do you think these guys are working these eighty hour weeks? Why do you think they're willing to work those hour weeks and, and never see their family? Yeah, yeah, and um, Mike rattles off some you know, corporate jargon or what, even what he believes, right? Cause he, he's really passionate about his, this is almost his baby. Right. Yes. So he feels the message and Doug's like, yeah, sure. You know what? 
that's definitely it. And is like, oh, you really don't understand. And it's like, that's the other part of it is, um, you know, you want to empathize with these guys rising, becoming successful. But then again, you're like, if we could just work and live a, have a good job that pays and doesn't crush your soul. A balance. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why shouldn't, why should we hate that? Why should we be against that? Um, and it gives a nice little contrast piece of perspective. Yeah, that that mo- that moment is very important because that's like it. It's kind of like a big reveal, right? It's it's the zoom out, like all right, let's take stock and and have the perspective of the whole thing here, where Mike's been changed by being CEO of an increasingly larger company. He's become more like Jim and less like Doug, and. Mm-hmm. So like the whole movie is kind of so why Mike works really well as a main character because he's kind of caught in the middle between this idealized you know we're we're rebels with with a vision here and we're gonna do it our way uh, and like you know I've I've got this company that I gotta grow yeah and that really is it like it's you know it's that idea of I gotta run this thing because even since the beginning of the movie right he was the guy who had to push everyone, right? He was the yeah. one driving it. And that turns out again to kind of be a downfall in that he is just too into it. He got, he got cor- corrupted by greed and his own, uh, his own fervor, I guess. Hubris. Yeah. A little bit. Um, meanwhile, yeah. this is just... um, Jim ball silly goes off the fucking deep end <laughs> another great scene where he's trying to buy the pittsburgh penguins and move them to hamilton uh ontario and <laughs> he his his proposal to buy the team gets resoundingly rejected by the other owners and he just goes <laughs> full dennis reynolds <laughs> yeah. the man the man took the man took uh, like being co CEO of BlackBerry as a side mission, but his the the main mission was was reclaim hockey to the motherland <laughs> and by moving the penguins to Hamilton Ontario. And doing some fabulously unethical business practices in the process. Yeah. Um, oh, shout yeah. out to um, to yeah. Sungwon Cho, um, Pro Z D. Is, the, is, uh, as he's known who, on the internets. Is the other guy yeah, who played the Google engineer also internet famous? Like he seemed um, familiar, but I couldn't place him. Rich oh, Rich um, Summer. I don't know. Uh, um, what what were you in? Okay, so no, he's a he's a TV and uh, movie actor. He's in The Devil Wears Prada, Mad Men, Fire. Oh, he did some video game work in Firewatch. Um, but he looks to me to be like a, um, just like a, a work, a work a day, uh, TV right. and movie. Actor. Yeah. Same character actor that I've, I've praised. Okay. Yeah. I've probably seen him in some television episodes. Yeah, he was, he was in Half-Life Alex as the Larry, the drone. Um, I would play that. <laughs> yeah. Summer 84, the wet hot American summer sequel. Ah, that's probably it. Yep. So he's been. He has been around the game as a voice and character actor, um, but yeah, those guys were fun little, little uh, side characters. Great, great small yeah. performances there. Um, but yeah, they uh, so they show they show him going around and dropping these 
ten million dollar contracts to all these engineers. And, and the thing that he got around to it is he he basically offered them a million dollar stock option, um, and then backdated it to when the company was worth a dollar a share or something like that, um, which is. I guess illegal. It's very illegal. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, it's what you would call fraud. <laughs> which um, which gets the SEC. It's a it's a funny um, kind of uh, incentive structure. Some might call it illegal. <laughs> you know, which is which is silly because because you know they're just they're just Canadians trying to do American shit, and then an American company's like, no, you can't do that. That's our brand. Mm. You can't steal our stees, <laughs> um, which is kind of rude. Um, which brings you to the second factual error. Um, unless they just forgot to mention that the SEC was working with with the Canadian um, Securities uh, Commission, uh, they have no like authority to operate in Canada, which um, was, I guess, interesting. Yeah. But nope, they, they got them. And uh, there was a really good scene that I, I liked. One of, one of the standout scenes to me was <clears throat> towards the end when Mike basically ratted out uh jim and gave up jim to take a sweet deal um mm-hmm. he said he, he he hears about him him saying the iphone which is an interesting swap they they swapped concerns so now mike is just concerned about the business and money side of it and jim is concerned about the tech side of it and where would they need to go yeah um and he plays the business move, and Mike probably learned it from Jim. He learned it from uh, watching you, know, the, you the, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and in that moment, when he realizes what Mike did, you can see Glenn Howerton's portrayal get a little bit of a smirk. Like he's, he's impressed or proud of, of Mike in that moment, that he's like, you did the right thing for you. Which is what I'm thinking is this is exactly what I would have done to you if I was in your shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you're not I don't I don't hate you for it. I'm not mad at you. You're you're right. And he ended up getting out. Yeah. He didn't do jail time. He, classic rich people piece of shit <laughs> move where yeah. consequences, what are those? I can I can yeah. rat you I can give you a bunch of other names if you let me go. <laughs> so so he ended up doing the right thing and it was it was just a beautiful seat, little scene right there so many of those where, you know, and, like yeah I, I yeah i like that the end their downfall uh was caused it was related to their uprising was that they were the whole company was about being headstrong and always grew by like pushing people around more and more and more and they finally ran into two people they couldn't bully apple who had just a genuinely more successful product and outbusiness them and the SEC, who is a governmental body who deals with people who like to push people around and is very good at <laughs> coercing or at least uh, putting pressure on. Yeah, you know, faux pas hard. for Mike, though. Um, you want your attorney there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't let them try you know, to like. <laughs> and that's that was her move. She was like, I, if I can get him to start confessing without getting a lawyer. Oh, smooth, smooth operator. Okay. Experienced. <laughs> Side note here, and this is a total cop move. Every cop does it. It's like rule number one in in cop <laughs> copaganda book. You open the copaganda book and you say, "What's rule number one?" It's this one. If they ask for a lawyer, you rebuttal with, "Why?" 
You got something to hide? No, I know my rights, bitch. (laughs) Are you concerned about something? Because there are too many of these, like, um, police uh, interrogation room videos that are shipped out after the crime's Mm -hmm. solved and whatever of them interrogating the, you know, culprit or somebody who could be, and... They always are like, you can get an attorney if you want one, but you know. It's like, oh, we're just talking. One? And they're like, but we're just talking. You you don't feel like you need one here, though. You did nothing wrong, right? That is the oldest fucking play in the book. Always yep. have your lawyer, um, because and and never like give them any information, even if you are completely innocent. Information yes. you give them could be used, will against, be used you. against you. It will not be used they're, for you. They're... It will be used against you. There have been studies done that show that police interrogators can make you admit to doing something you didn't even do. People have made up bullshit just to get out of a situation. Mm-hmm. They've made up. They've been like, yeah, I did what, whatever you're telling me I did. I did it. Uh, yeah. And because they just wear you down. It's yep. it's. It's psychological manipulation. They they wear you down. Not saying they did that. Know your rights. Invoke your Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Get an attorney. Or whatever the equivalent is in Canada. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Side note. This has one of my... One of the jokes I really liked during the SEC raid where they finally go into the building. Um, Michael Ironside's character is trying to, like, get him... Get Mike some cover. And be like, put your... You know, we got to get the data safe off your phone. But Mike is—he's been trying to fix and get the new prototype ready. So he's Whoa. pulled out all his Blackberries, and Mike and the guy comes. In, he's like, "Mike, where's your phone?" And there's like fifty phones out on his desk. Yeah, um, I, I did like little low key joke. I did like one of the ways that Jim avoided jail time was because of the encryption and Blackberry messages because mm-hmm. they couldn't pull any of the stuff. So like they didn't need to dump anything off the phone. Because and they and that's another callback. Because in the beginning they said no one can track this, not even us. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, that's true. So like really well executed movie, um, hundred percent recommended. I don't know where it's available to watch if it's on it's a streaming on, service. It's on YouTube to rent. Um, again, it's it's, it, it's worth the rental fee. Yeah, it's for less sure. Than the cost of Ubering to a movie theater. Yeah, um, and if you are at all interested in this genre of movie, if you're all interested in these actors, like even if you're not, like this is just a, a solid movie. This is one of the better movies to come out this year, I think. Yeah. Um, this and is, this is going to be a contender at the end of the year. If, yeah, it's there's going to be not some... for Spider Verse already. <laughs> yeah, um, if if that one, if it didn't already have that sewed up, but this is. This is pushing it a little bit more than I would have expected a movie to to push it. So um, mm-hmm. I think they'll they'll about do it for us here. Uh, we'll be back next week with at least Oppenheimer. Um, I don't intend to go see Barbie, but I've been bullied before. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. But until until then, be well, stay safe, and party like it's nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety six. Peace. <laughs> bye bye.